1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
0: Golden, Colorado.
2: Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media, including our Patreon account, where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey, Charger fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am your host. Joining me, as always, are Alex and Tyler. Alex, we'll start with you today. How are you doing?
3: I'm um, doing pretty good. Uh, everything's going good so far over here, and we're ready to talk some cornerbacks.
2: That's right. We're going to talk our cornerbacks today. Uh, we're also going to cover some of Brandon Staley's press conference from a few days ago. Um, Tyler, how are you doing today, man?
1: I'm doing just fine, Steven. How are you?
2: I'm doing great man just made some, some nice chicken tacos for dinner it was it was, mm. it was fun yeah nice yes sir so um this is a fun episode because this will be our first episode that we have submitted through our new mm. deal with blue wire which is super exciting can't wait to get all of that really started and uh, you've probably seen our new logo by now hopefully um you know that's kind of in the works right now but so, we're really excited and obviously going to talk some cornerbacks like we've been doing, our positional breakdown, some uh, some of our favorites, some of our sleepers, and some players that we're selling our stock on as well. Um, but, you know, the news of the day or, or the event of the day happened earlier this week, which was Brandon Stady's press conference. Um, I could listen to that guy talk football all Ooh, day long. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is such a upgrade in that department over the last two Chargers coaches. You know, you had Mike McCoy who really just, like, didn't want to be there, and then you had Anthony <laughs> Lynn who just kind of, like, I mean, I hate to bash on people that are not here, but Anthony Lynn, it just, it just didn't really, really feel like we ever learned anything from him, whereas Brandon Staley's mm-hmm. like, here's what I think of everything, and it's just yeah. it's so much fun. Um, Tyler, what, what was kind of a main takeaway that you had after watching the press conference?
1: That it was intentional, that they got bigger along the offensive line, which we kind of noticed because Abuji and these guys are huge. Yeah. That, I think, eliminates the Slater-Veratucka conversation at 13. Unless they think they're playing left guard, I, it is it is now a three-tackle race for 13.
2: Yeah, I, I tend to agree there. I, I, you know, we kind of said from the beginning after our conversation with uh, Brentley Weissman back in, you know, November, that they might view Rayshon Slater as a guard. Of course, uh, it was perceived that his lack of length was a little more noticeable, but, you know, he does kind of check that box of the 33-inch arms, which is kind of the general threshold that NFL teams look for for tackles. But, I mean, I love Elijah Vera Tucker. He's got 32 and one quarter, I believe. So he's a guard in the Chargers' eyes as much as I think he can play tackle. Um, So we'll have to see what that means in the long run. And maybe if Slater is on the board, I don't think that they would pass him up. But then again, I also don't think he's going to be on the board. So, uh, Alex, what was your main takeaway from the press conference earlier this
3: week? Uh, you keep saying earlier this week you realized it was today, Stephen.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, but when the episode comes out, Alex. Oh.
3: Okay. <laughs> I I don't know when the episode is coming out. It'll probably like ten weeks from now. Um. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> it's ten o'clock over here. Um. So yeah, the first thing that caught my attention because the first quote that I actually saw was the um Easton Stick uh <laughs> Chase Daniel quarterback battle oh, um yeah. for for the second spot. That was the first quote I saw. Um, and I just thought that was really uh, funny and interesting because the Chargers had only carried two quarterbacks that one year with uh, Rivers and uh, Geno Smith, so I think they had carried three. Oh,
2: did we lose him? Having some technical issues here. Looks well, like...
1: I think that Easton Stick versus Chase Daniel – Sure, there's going to be a competition. <laughs> sure, that's why you paid him that him that much money to
2: be QB3. Sure. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen either. There he is. There he is.
3: Yeah. Oh, we we lost count? you there for a second there, oh. Alex. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I was just saying that, um, yeah, my second takeaway after the stick and uh, that stuff was the quote about the left tackle hole. Uh, Obviously, I think they do realize they have a problem there, uh, whether that gets answered in the first round, second round, uh, third round. I don't know. (laughs) None (laughs) of us know yet, but I do think that uh, they they will try to address that. And, you know, he did mention the fact that it could be answered uh, after the draft, perhaps in free agency, where there are still some veteran tackles looking for spots. You know, I, I keep mentioning his name because he just keeps popping up as in the He's still yeah. weirdly unsigned, uh, even though, it, yeah, he was bad last year. But, like, I just feel like some team would sign him on name value alone. Um, but, yeah, those were the two things that stuck out to me. And then, obviously, I, I guess the... We'll, we'll get into this when we talk about the cornerbacks with uh, Horn and Sertan and all that. As people, you know, talked about what cornerbacks he likes and what he likes out of a cornerback specifically. Um, but it didn't really give an indication to me as to where he's yeah. leaning at corner. Um, if he, if he really has a favorite with the 13th pick or something.
2: No, I, I don't think, I think, you know, Sertan and Horn and even Farley, if they want if they want to take that chance, you know, with his medical issues, I think all three of them fit what Brandon Staley wants to do. Right. You know, I think, you know, he mentioned this, you got to play man-to-man coverage, you got to do it in press situations, you got to do it in off situations. You know, they played a lot of quarters, so they do play some zone. And I think all three of those corners can do that, and you could throw Greg Newsom in there as well. I wouldn't take Greg Newsom at 13, but, you know, I think, you know, the big three of the cornerback the class, which we're going to talk about in a minute, I think all three of them would fit what Brandon Staley wants to do. Um, I just don't know if that's the pick because, like, we're going to talk about this cornerback class is so, so good. There's so many corners that they could take in the second round or third round. And I would be confident in them developing that player into a starting level cornerback. Offensive tackle, that's a different story. Like, I mean, I like Spencer Brown, Deontay Smith a lot. But are you going to take them and start them from day one? No, like, absolutely not. So. Uh, to me, it, the move has always been offensive tackle just because of that fact. Like, I, I like Alex Leatherwood, I and mean, I like Brady Christensen, but there are so many more corners in this class that I'm comfortable with, you know, taking a chance on in the second round, third round, over an offensive tackle.
1: At the end of the day, I would like an offensive tackle of 13 who mm-hmm. has much more potential Because Telesco can potentially not screw that up as much. And then Staley can take those day three guys, day two guys, like he has with, you know, at least with the Rams, and turn them into stars. So I think it's a little safer to go 13. Nothing's changed for me. They say they have a hole at left tackle. It better not be Villanueva. It better not be a third-round tackle. Um, I I just listened to your discussion with Brentley Weissman. And even he says, you know, if you can find a high-quality starter in the second round for corners, I know we've been saying it the whole time too. Everybody knows that. And I, I just think it's, it's 13 is, is tackle. I I can't imagine it goes anywhere
2: else. I don't care what anybody else is
1: saying right now.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that,
2: I hope that's the way the charges are thinking. And, uh,
3: uh, Oh, I mean, I, I hope it too. Is it actually going to happen? Nah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the other question here.
2: Um, There was another takeaway too, that I wanted to talk about. And I can't remember what it was. Oh, um, You know, I think people are really going to be surprised at what this team does with Jerry Tillery. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Brandon Staley has talked about him three or four times by now. They've got a great, great defensive line coaching staff with Giff Smith, Jay Rogers, and Brandon Staley himself. So I, I, like, obviously it's early, right? The draft hasn't even happened yet. The roster's not even filled out. But my early favorite for breakout player of the year is going to be Jerry Tillery. And I know that the penalties were frustrating, and I know that he had certain moments where he wasn't great against the run. He's also never had a full offseason, and the Chargers coaching staff was moving him around midseason trying to figure out if he could play edge or not. And that's something that really needs to happen in the offseason, not during the season. So I know that people are kind of disappointed in Jerry Tillery, but Brandon Staley seems to think very highly of him and thinks that he has some great traits, he confirmed today that he's going to be an inside player to the, uh, for them um, who could potentially play on the outside, given some matchups or things like that. But as a 3-4 defensive end slash defensive tackle, I think Jerry Tillery fits what he wants to do. He fits what Brandon Staley has, you know, worked with in the past, a guy like Roy Robertson Harris or, you know, a Shelby Harris kind of player. And I think that Jerry Tillery is going to have a really, really good season in 2021.
3: Uh, I think the other guy that he mentioned is obviously Mm -hmm. Nasir Adderley. Um, And a lot of Chargers fans are kind of down on him, uh, sort of in addition to Jerry Tillery. But if I had to pick one player that I have kind of the confidence in, it is uh, Nasir Adderley for me. I think they'll play him sort of in that deep role. Uh, And you have Derwin James he'll be playing with. Uh, Should Derwin James stay healthy? I kind of like a bounce back year for him. Oh, I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) I thought you are frozen again. I, if I had to pick one, I will go with Jerry Tillery. I think there was just enough there last season. And look, he's ne- – in my opinion, and looking at what the Chargers did with him and then what Staley's going to do with him, he's never had a plan. Not him. The, the team has never really had a right. plan for him, Yeah. nor could they really develop him. And now they're going to have this plan, and he's going to have an off season, and hopefully he's healthy. And, you know, hopefully the defensive line in general is healthy. I I do think he's a breakout player. I am still hesitant about Adderley for a couple of reasons, but um, I hope he does well. Like, they are clearly thinking about him in a big role on this team. That's why they let Jenkins go. I hope it works out. The the talent is there. The talent is definitely there. Let's just see if he can put it together. But either way, whatever those guys do, even if it's not great, if it's a step forward from last year because they have a plan, I think that's a win.
3: Well, I mean, they also they also let Jenkins go because Jacksonville paid him $40 million. For that.
2: So.
3: <laughs> I know. There was that whole conversation happening of, like, the
2: 2017 draft class, and everybody was like, man, they couldn't even reach on Rayshon. I'm like, Are you paying Sean $40 million? Like, <laughs> I mean, I liked him. We all know that I was, mm-hmm. you know, not, like, his biggest fan or anything. But like, yeah, I thought he was underrated and underappreciated, but I'm not paying an underappreciated guy $40 million. So I think that's another thing to keep an eye on in the draft, right, because, you know, like we did in our mock draft, you know, taking Richie Grant, or, or I did rather, you know, this team is going to have to add some safety help because the way that Brandon Staley is going to play defense, right, he's going to have three safeties on the field and three corners on the field quite often. And he mentioned that today. And are you going to put Alohi Gilman on the field, like, I don't think he's ready for that. So the way that they, they'll play defense, like, they're going to add some safety help. Uh, and so if, like, the first – if the second-round pick and the third-round pick are a corner and a safety, I would not be very surprised. I think they've got to be able to add some talent to the secondary group in order to play the kind of defense that Brandon Staley wants.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to have a run on defensive picks in this draft. I don't think it's going to be anything like – The Matt Rules first draft in Carolina, which is just all defensive players. I don't think it's going to be quite that because they do need help uh, at offensive tackle and some other positions. But I do think if I had to bet that it might be like a 5-4 defensive split or 6-3 defensive split in terms of the amount of picks. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm
2: glad that you mentioned Carolina because this is kind of the other thing we wanted to talk about before. Um, getting into the corners, and that is a potential trade-up for Panay Sewell. That's kind of the talk of the town recently. Alex did a great article on it for Bolt Beat. Uh, Jason Reed also did an article on it for Bolt Beat. Um, And it's just – it's such an interesting conversation, right, because the Chargers, like, could have had a chance at drafting him if they hadn't won those last four games, which, you know, there's definitely value to that. But at the end of the day, you know, right now they're not going to be in range for him unless they want to trade up. So it's seen for a very long time that the Bengals were going to be taking him. And then they obviously added Riley Reif and now potentially are taking, you know, Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. So then there's a question of like, how far does Panay Sewell fall? And to me, the first team that would take him is the Carolina Panthers. And so trading up for Panay Sewell, you probably have to get to seven at worst case scenario. So Tyler, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on trading for Panay Sewell? And what do you think it would cost the Chargers Not just off of like the trade off of the trade chart, but like, what do you realistically think it would cost? Well, I only go off the trade chart. I (laughs) I mean,
1: I'm not trading that far. This team has way too many holes and not enough fingers. Don't take that the wrong way. I think it is way too difficult to fix this roster with giving up a couple of you know giving up three, four picks or whatever it is, or even a future pick. I think Alex, you referenced a a 2022 first to have to trade up, you know, to to give that up for Pineda. It's like you know, is is he worth that much more than – maybe Steven thinks Darryl saw and uh, first-round pick next year isn't worth as much as Pineda Sewell. But I just – I wouldn't give up that much. If I'm the Chargers, I'm waiting to think it's like 10, you know, at most. And and then giving – and then even then you still have to give up the comp third, the fifth, and the sixth, I think, to move up. Again, that's the draft chart. Sorry. didn't realize we were going with our well, – not doing math here. That's fine. Um, that's not what yes, I meant. I, I didn't
2: mean it like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't keep, like Alex did a great breakdown where he went through like trades that are relevant today that just happened or very recently happened. And I'm just like, I don't know. 40 plus 60 is. Or something, <laughs> so. Um, I do one of the I want to say though, and at least caution, even if you don't specifically use the chart, if you are doing your trades on pro football focus or whatever, like someone or pro football network, someone sent me a, like hey, what do you think of this uh, this trade? And they traded you know back into the first round and all they gave up was like pick 97, where on the chart it would cost 77, 97, and then the other the fourth, the fifth or whatever pick. So I, the trading up for Sewell sounds cool, but make sure you guys are paying attention to how much it really would cost, which again
3: read Alex's article
1: because it breaks it down better than I just did.
3: Uh, I, I've never read the trade chart. Uh, I know Tyler has been fascinated <laughs> with the trade chart and, and he did a good video on it. Um, but I just, I, for me, when I wrote that article, I just kind of went, okay, the two spots that you can trade out to are Atlanta and Detroit. Um, those are really the two teams that are looking to trade back. And we just saw, you know, you look at the Chargers position in Atlanta, 13 and four. We saw what it just costs to move up from 12 to three for San Francisco, um, so, I think that's very comparable. And they had to give up their 2021 first, 2022 first, 2023 first, uh, and I think their 2022 second, or, or their, sorry, their 2021 second, right? So, you have to give up a lot. You know, that's two first rounders in the future and also a second rounder, right? If you want to trade up to get to that spot uh and you know we just talked about what it takes to trade up six spots we just saw a trade obviously with the Eagles and Dolphins the Dolphins had to give up a future first rounder and i think a fifth rounder um in that trade so that's a, a difficult pill to swallow too right <laughs> like yeah. no, no matter what way you slice it if you were trading five plus spots in the draft i think you're at least giving up a future first rounder um and to me we kind of have a GM who has struggled a little bit in drafting after the first round. And, you know, you're not going to pick next year, say you trade for Sewell, until, I don't know, after the 50th pick in the draft. Like, I I just think that's too big of a chance to take. And people people were talking to me about, like, oh, well, it's actually not that big of a deal because uh, they'll have, like, the 20th pick in the draft because they'll make the playoffs. I'm like, all right. Let's not talk about any of that yet. <laughs> it's <laughs> way too early. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think, you know, we, we've been talking about getting staley pieces. Like, this team is not one Penesawo away from Super Bowl contention. And, like, right. I think you, you need a corner. You need to fill up all these holes. And I, I just don't think it's the right time for it. Um, I think at the Chargers we're in a position like the Bills or the Chiefs or the- Ravens, where it's like, hey, you know, we are, you know, one piece away from, you know, taking over the AFC or winning the AFC this year. I think it would make sense, but they're just not that team yet. Two or three down, you know, two or three years down the road, it can be a different conversation. But, um, yeah, I, like Tyler said, if it gets to 10 with, with the Cowboys and, you know, the Giants and those teams, I'd consider it at that point. Uh, there was actually an interesting trade, I think from 2012 where the Eagles traded up to, uh, 12 from 15 so same three spots and they traded uh their fourth and fifth round pick so if you want to do that I'm more open to it because they have the four first round picks in the top 100 with the third compensatory so I think that makes a lot more sense uh and it's not too much to trade up in that scenario but I think if you're going to move up five plus spots that's just it's too much for me
2: I completely agree with you guys. I think as much as I love Penesel and I think, you know, unequivocally he would, you know, solve the left tackle problem for what the Chargers have had for the last decade plus. um, I just, it's so much to ask of this new coaching staff to give up three, four picks when they need so many other things. Like, you know, you guys mentioned it and they also need another edge rusher. They need interior offensive line depth. Like, Brandon Saley talked today about, like, today about Odeabushi Like, he's probably going to start, but he's not going to be handed the job. Like, he needs somebody to compete with. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, so to me, like, there's just too many holes on this roster. And we all know, like, what happens in the NFL when when injuries happen. And if you don't have depth, then you're just going to be in the same spot wishing that you had another first-round pick next year because you have all these holes and all these injuries to deal with, right? And so training for Panay Sewell is great. What happens when Brian Bulaga misses games? Trey Pipkins is starting. What happens if Matt Fyler misses a game or two? Tyree St. Louis is starting. What happens if Michael Davis gets hurt? Brandon Faison is starting. What happens if Nasir Adderley gets hurt? Alohi Gilman is starting.
1: Okay, Steven. Ah, no more. So, like, I hate to to, to be
2: that guy. Like, I really do. But, like, talking about these kind of trade things, like, that's what teams are talking about, right? Like, yeah. if they're if they're having this conversation like, well, we have to give up three picks to get Panay Sewell, that's three potential starters that you're missing out on. So that's the conversation that people need to be having. And I love Panay Sewell. I think he's a generational offensive tackle. But realistically, the Chargers are not in the kind of situation where they can afford to trade three picks, four picks to go get Panay Sewell.
3: Yeah, Joey Bosa goes into the concussion protocol, and then Kyler Fackrell is starting. So there we go. <laughs> you can keep, going,
2: you can keep going, down the list. It's a depressing topic. Yeah. I'm sorry
3: to be that guy to bring
2: it up, but you know yeah. this is, these are the things that people need to talk about and need to realize. Yeah. Like it's not just you know we're adding Panay Sewell and that's the end of the discussion. Like you're also not adding a guy like a Richie Grant in the second round, or an Asante Samuel in the second round, mm-hmm. or whoever you know an interior offensive lineman like Aaron Banks in the third. Like, that's what you're giving up. And it's not just that you're adding Panay Sewell. It's that you're also not having those other picks.
3: Yeah. For me, it's just like, I guess the way that I think about it, you know, you're going to have your Darasaw there. Maybe you have your Slater there, sort of low probability. Um, I, I think if, you know, would I trade Darasaw plus a first-round pick plus a second-round pick and then, you know, a, a future first to go grab Penae Sewell? Uh, I, I probably wouldn't, because I think you can develop Darius on your own. And, you know, Staley talked at length about length today, right? And and having these big guys who, you know, uh, I think Darius would kind of fit that category if they want to take him at 13. So I just think, you know, and obviously the, the potential to reunite Justin Herbert and Panay Sewell, I mean, you know, Panay Sewell said it in his uh, Pro Day press conference, like, you know, it would be hard to, you know, pass up or, you know, but, you know, as cool as that is, as fun as that is uh it's just you know it's it's a business and i I just don't think the chargers can do that uh sucks that they went on that whole four game winning streak and all, but you know <laughs> it's costly,
2: yeah,
3: I need to try to not be a prisoner of the moment once the draft rolls around and they're at
1: pick ten and Sewell's there, and then maybe eleven he won't be there, but you know i need to I need to try to keep in my head that like okay. There is another draft in the future. There are two or three. Right. I will see 80 more drafts in my lifetime unless a <laughs> meteor hits the earth, and there will be picks <laughs> later on. And yeah. I would hate to sacrifice. You know, let's say Elijah Vera Tucker was a prospect next year. I would hate for the Chargers not to be able to draft him when, I don't know, Filer gets hurt or Filer goes to right tackle. And I would hate to not be able to draft someone like him next year uh, because they gave up a pick for Sewell. As much as I like him, I think Darryl saw and Elijah Vera Tucker Thinking it that way, at least, is certainly more valuable. And then, of course, the Chargers need to prove that they're a good team before they make some yep. sort of move-up. Right. Like, I mean, I think they're going to be a good team. They're certainly going
0: to be an improved team. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: You know, better than last year, but let's make the playoffs first. And then make that push. So as much as I want them to, you know, trade for Brown, trade for this guy, get that guy, you know, they gotta wait, they gotta prove that they're a better team before these moves start happening. So next year could be really fun, but this yeah. year, uh, fun but no trades.
2: Yeah, and you know, the other thing that could be fun next year is too. Daniel Popper mentioned this in his article: is that you know we might be looking at the Chargers saving ten million dollars and kind of pushing that for next year in cap space. Mm. So uh, that would be a fun thing as well. So we're gonna move on now, and we're gonna get to this corner conversation. But first, I want to take a a little bit of a break here, and we're going to do some of our first ads. So we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be right back. The economy is made up of real
0: people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of today's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast.
2: All right, so we are back and we're going to talk some cornerback prospects. I think this is going to be a super fun conversation. Uh, we had our big disagreement last time about Jason Owe, uh, and so we're going to get into that right now. So, Alex. You have been aboard the Patrick Sertan train. I have been aboard the J.C. Horn trade, or train rather, excuse me. Tyler, I want you to break this tie on our show between J.C. Horn and Patrick
3: Sertan. I know who he's going with.
1: <laughs> okay, so if you want me to break that tie, first of all, I do think it is close. Like it's not like this is like picking right. between my, my twin sisters. I have twin sisters, so I can say this. Um, I never, I won't even say who I like more. Forget it. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're
0: listening, girls. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: okay. I think that Patrick Sertan is a fantastic corner where if he's allowed to put his hands on the defender first and redirect or or just even just if you've ever played corner and you have this sort of like reaction to how the cor- the receiver is moving based on how you're touch- based on how you're using your hands to defend them. And I think he's so good at that and he tests like he won so much by testing so well at his pro day. I didn't not that anyone thought he was a bad you know athlete or whatever, but I I did not think he was going to test that well. So for him to do that, like his stock went up for sure. I just think Sertan has to play close and get his hands on the guy. When he plays off coverage, I think he struggles a little bit. I think J C Horn can do anything you ask him to do, and that's what separates him just a little bit more in my opinion. And he's also. And probably the reason that he's he's probably he's my number one corner, and I think Stevens do. There really aren't of the big of the big I guess four if you count Newsom. Horn's really the only guy's gonna throw his head in there and tackle and like really go to tackle. So I think I think Horn can do a little bit more. Like I think Horn can do everything. Sertan can do almost everything. I know Alex will disagree. And but then Horn, I even think it's not really a debate that I think he is by far and away the better tackler, and that will certainly separate him. You can do. There are a few guys in this draft, and I'll talk about a guy later on, that I feel comfortable as the last line of defense on my defense. When you talk about safeties, like so, like Richie Grant is a fantastic last line of defense because he's always making that tackle. I feel the same way about a guy we'll talk about later on. And Horn, I think, is the same way. When you are targeted on a screen or you know run a, a running play to your side, sometimes you just have to clean up those plays. And I think Horn does that better than anybody else in this class. And so that's why I'm going with him. Alex, why am I wrong?
3: (laughs) Um, I mean, I think Horn's very good. Like, uh, to me, he's CP2. Um, I probably would have had Farley a little bit earlier, but now Farley has this back issue, and that's Mm -hmm. problematic. But I I went back to go watch some Horn tape to be like, all right, what am I missing? And I do think he is a very um, great tackler. I think he, you know, know, we talk about, you know, uh, Sertan being a little bit grabby. Uh, I think, you know, Oren can be a little bit grabby too sometimes. Uh, so, you know, there, there, there's something there. But I do think what separates Sertan for me from any corner in this class is, uh, I mean, just the fact that he's basically uh, an island uh, and the fact that, you know, you can throw a lot at him and, or they basically don't throw at him. Like, he completely takes wide receivers out of the game. I thought what he did uh, against Jamar Chase a few years ago was very impressive. Uh, he had 916 snaps last year with no penalties after coming off a year where he actually did have six penalties in 2019. So I thought he uh, improved sort of his hands and, and how he uses them to avoid those penalties, which I thought was important. I actually think just coming out of the break, like people have talked about not his athleticism because he did test athletically well, but people talk about like his movements sort of not being fluid and that leads to him getting beat deep. But in 2020, he improved in that as well. Like, I think he only allowed one play that went for 25 yards. Um, So I think he's kind of not going to really, like, get burnt a lot at the NFL level. Uh, And that's kind of the one concern for him deep. And the one thing I want to say is, like, and this is what Staley said in his press conference today when it comes to scheme fit, because a lot of people have said to me that, like, Horn, you know, Sertan may be the better corner, but Horn is the better scheme fit. But what Staley said in his press conference today is like, hey, you need a man-press, you know, corner who could tackle. And I think Sertan is kind of that. Like, he both plays man-press, uh, plays zone. Like, you know, you could debate which one is the better tackler uh, between Sertan and Horn, but I don't think it's that much of a difference to me where I'm going to put Horn over the coverage abilities that Sertan has right now. Um, so for me, uh, Patrick Sertan is CB1 now, you know, this all might not be, end up worth anything because Dallas can take Sertan and, you know, that ends this whole conversation. <laughs> um, but for me, uh, you know, they could also surprise people and take JC Horn. I, I don't know, you know. There are some GMs that like, like Horn, some GMs that like Sertan. Uh, I don't know which one they like better. Uh, but for me, if the Chargers are dead set on taking a corner at their team, which I kind of think they are. Uh, I would prefer Patrick Sertan, but it's not by a whole lot over JC Horn either.
2: I, I totally agree with that. I, I think these players are incredibly close. And, you know, JC Horn is my kind of corner, but I would be happy with Patrick Sertan as well. And I think the thing with Sertan is I would be a little more inclined to play him in kind of a cover three zone scheme. You know, I think he would be a good fit in Dallas because of that, because they have Dan Quinn. Um, to me, Like the different, like the edge, like if I were going back and looking at Patrick Sertan versus JC Horn with like the intent of putting Patrick Sertan ahead of him, to me, like the difference that give, that would give Sertan the edge is that Sertan recognizes route concepts at a quicker and more efficient level. To me, Sertan is the smarter player who's able to be a little more savvy, sit back in zone coverage, let things happen in front of him and then go make a play. Whereas J.C. Horn, I feel more comfortable in a man-to-man defense. Someone that who can be put on an island and, and be able to go say, "Hey, you're gonna go guard Devonte Adams for the next 60 minutes of football," and I think J.C. Horn would take that challenge on. He did that against Elijah Moore. He did that against Seth Williams. He did that against Jamar Chase. Like he was put on an island all the time. Whereas Patrick Sertan stuck to he stuck to it, he took to his side. And that was kind of his deal. That's Alabama football. They don't really move their players around. So that really is the difference for me. I feel like Patrick Sertan is safer right now. I think he's the smarter player. I think he's able to bring a more established background to the cornerback position. He's been playing the position forever. His dad played the position in the NFL. So I think Patrick Sertan is probably safer right now. So there is some projecting with J.C. Horn. But I'm just – I'm such a fan of the way that he plays, just the attitude that he brings to the table. And I was talking about this with a guy who I'm going to talk about later today, which is uh, Paul Sanadivo. So much of the cornerback position is is having that mentality to be the same kind of player from start to finish of a game. And J.C. Horn, it didn't matter if they were getting – if they were losing to Ole Miss, which they were. Ole Miss was kicking their ass – And Elijah Moore was kicking his ass and he still was playing the same kind of way from start to finish in that game, still making plays, still going after it. And that's, that's my reasoning really for putting him over Patrick Zertan. I just love the way he plays and the way that he tested, man, like he's an athletic freak. Patrick Zertan is a very good athlete, not taking anything away from him, but JC Horn is a freak athlete. And I think that is kind of his difference. So, that's my take on the on the two corners the, that they could potentially take. Uh, Alex, Tyler, any other thoughts on those two before we move on to our round two players? I have a round one player. Okay, you have a round one player. All
1: right. So let's, so cool. Horn, is, Horn is definitely, like, number one. I am doing a little bit of projecting here, and I actually have Greg Newsom as my cb too. I personally don't think right. there's anybody who's more fluid in coverage than Newsom, but he, at the next level... Should not be playing zone. He should be playing more man. That's just what they did at Northwestern. He should be playing more man because when he plays man, it is beautiful. You know, most of the the passes that he gave up were sitting in zone, and that's just kind of what they did on defense. That transition to man, I think, works for him. You know, let him be that elite mover that he is. When they played Ohio State, Fields didn't even look his way, and unfortunately he got hurt. If he was able to go that entire game without giving up a catch, he might be like – I mean, I have not at CB2, but he might be, you know, in that top three a little bit more. You know, in 2020, he just allowed 93 yards, you know, no touchdowns, passer rating of 31.7. You know, he gave up one pass over 10 yards in 2020, you know, despite being targeted 15 times there. And Adebo did struggle with that a little bit, but we'll talk about that later. Um, the primary concern, though, is those missed games. I haven't gotten really into the injuries yet. Um, he missed nine games in 2018, and then this – he missed four games in 2019 due to an undisclosed injury, whatever that means. Um, and then, of course, the groin injury that kicked him out of the uh, game against Ohio State. It doesn't bother me as much as Farley, but in terms of like the projection, I think, and the way he moves and how comfortable he is, or that I see at least, he's not the tackler that Horn is. And if he were, I think I actually would be pretty darn close. Um, but yeah, Newsom is my CB too. I just have this, it's like a gut feeling. It probably should be Sertan. Like, I probably should put Sertan as my CB2. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I just have this feeling about him if he transitions to man. If he plays zone and just, you know, keeps playing off, like, I just don't think that works as well for him. He doesn't really have that, like, that Caleb Farley-like speed, you know, or that burst. I, I don't think that's quite him. But the fluidity to, to stay in man, I think, I think that's where he would excel, and I hope he goes somewhere where he's allowed to do, to do that.
2: I love that take, man. I, I didn't know that that was going to come out tonight. So I'm really happy that you put that out to the world. Um, I think Greg Newsom is super underrated. And, you know, it's interesting to me that he's kind of, you know, left out of that, like, big three conversation, you know, especially with, because, like, JC Horn after Caleb Farley got, you know, the back injury, right? Everybody talked about JC Horn, like, okay, like, this is his show now, right? But, like, nobody kind of talked about Greg Newsom entering that conversation of like being in the big three and maybe potentially overtaking Caleb Farley himself. So uh, that's a super interesting point, Tyler. I'm glad you brought that up. Alex, what are your thoughts on uh, Greg Newsom there that Tyler and being Tyler's CB2? Uh,
3: I mean, I, I like Greg Newsom a lot. Um, I think he'll go towards the end of the first round probably. I mean, depending on where Farley goes, it could go before or after Farley. Um, I think he's clean, but the, the durability, you know, if if I'm going to take points off for Farley for that, mm-hmm. I also have to take points off for Newsom, you know, who's had yeah. three straight years um, of, of not playing a full season, unfortunately. Um, But I, I definitely see what, you know, what pops on tape for him. It, you know, I, to me, Sir Tan and Horn, as of now, are, are the most known prospects. And, you mm-hmm. know, if we, we're talking about the NFL going to, a 17 game season next year, you know, for talking about someone who hasn't played a full college season going transitioning to that and because he's going to be drafted in the first round, you know, there's not going to be a lot of like hey, here's the time to develop like, you know, he's going to be expected to start I-, I mean really probably from very close to day 1.
2: Yeah. Um
3: and that durability does concern me uh, a little bit. No doubt. I think that's a that's a good point as well. So
2: All right, let's get to our round two, guys. Uh, Alex, I'll start with you on this one. Who, or I guess framing this kind of differently, if the Chargers are taking a cornerback at 47, who's your guy that you would want them to take?
3: Uh, I like the brother of Greedy Williams, uh, Rodarius Williams, uh, quite a bit potentially in round two or round three. I think he is uh, very well built has good length, uh, and, you know, he had a great season in 2020. Like, he was allowing, like, at one point, 0. Like, 0.2 uh, yards, like, uh, per coverage snap, and it's just, like, that's an insane number uh, here in, like, PFF's Defensive Player of the Year, which is kind of crazy. Uh, and I just think he did really great all year. He's a very stingy corner uh I think that if you take him at in round two or round three, the thing that he struggles with a little bit is the underneath stuff, which I, I think he'll get over time. But the fact that he does do very well vertically and the fact that he does have this length um, and he had this breakout season and you see this upward trajectory with him, that's really what makes me want to take him. If they do go offensive tackle at 13 or they go edge at 13, um, I think he's a great, cornerback uh, fit for the Chargers, and I think he's going to do very, really well in that kind of press man coverage uh, sort of that Staley wants. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> what he's built for with his length, like we've been talking about these other guys, right? He fits that 6'1", 195, you know, uh, sort of measurement. Uh, I think he's very aggressive, too. Uh, not quite as aggressive as I would say Horn is, but uh, very aggressive with uh, his technique and uh, off man, so... Uh, personally, he would be. I, I don't know if I have a guy in the second round, but if the Chargers are 47 and he's on the board, um, I, I would heavily consider taking him. I'm not
2: going to lie, I have not
3: studied him yet.
2: Yeah, uh, you told me it was Go on, so I watched him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I pulled an audible. Thanks. You pulled an audible. Yeah, I was expecting Tay Gowan as well. <laughs> um, so I honestly have not watched much of Rod- Rodarius Williams. Uh, we were working on something, potentially maybe getting him on for an interview, which kind of fell through. Uh, so I did do some research on him kind of as a person, and I, I think he's got, like, a really interesting story. For those who don't know, I would definitely go check that out. I think I'm a fan of him as a person because of what I looked up. Um, but after the interview fell through, I didn't really watch any film on him, which I feel kind of bad saying out loud. But um, So I think, you know, the second round probably is a little bit rich for my taste just kind of based off of what I've seen from other people um but Tyler let's get your thoughts here on who your second round player will be
1: yeah it's not a surprise it's not even that interesting or like Newsom was kind of different this isn't different at all there's not much I can say about Asante Samuel Jr that hasn't already been said you pretty much know who he is and what he's all about so I'll just try to say two things you know that I think make him he's so intriguing as a prospect aside from what everybody already knows and I which I mentioned earlier one of them is that He's one of the few DBs in the class, you know, that I, I truly can feel is my last line of defense. You know, Samuel Jr. doing it as a corner on the boundary because teams have tried to go at him on wide receiver screens or running counters or anything they could do to expose his size, and he cleaned him up. Like it wasn't pretty. He's not like a hard-hitting linebacker. He's not Jeremiah owusu karamoa I said that right. He's not like a hard-hitting you know DB like that, but he's a sure tackler. And the other thing I think. That makes him stand out. He tries to do everything at a peak level. He doesn't take plays off. He's he's not just trying to make tackles. He's going to go make a run stop. Yeah. You know, the ball is in the air. He's not panicking. He's not failing. He's always turning his head around. He's trying to knock the ball down. And also, and this is – it feels like every corner of this class has this, but he has a dad who played in the NFL and you know, a dad who adores him. I, and you know, clearly, you see I'm, he posted like on Twitter or whatever. Not about him being enough tall. my son's taller than me and he's gonna be great and all that stuff, you know a guy who can give him advice every step of the way, you know this is what it's like to be in the NFL. What this is what this process is like. You know here's what you need to focus on. You know here's what here's what teams are going to try to do to you, and to prepare him that way. It looks like it, like you said with I can't remember who you're talking about was it a Debo? But you know being the same guy at the beginning, same guy at the end. He's the guy who will race down the field. You know three minutes left in the fourth quarter. There was a play in the film breakdown I did. The ball wasn't really even near him, but he's still racing down the field with three minutes left in the fourth quarter to go go help his guy out. Um, and I just think that is fantastic. The last thing I'll say is that, well, so not that I get like personal or whatever, but like the reason that I ended up quitting football in high school is because I was bullied physically, not like not in on campus or anything, but on the practice field. And you know it sucks like when you're shorter and you're a gymnast and you're Asian, like and you get bullied for those things. It sucks. It really does. Um, but one of the best things I ever did for myself is, is one of them, you know, came up and like shoved me one time and the best thing I did for myself was shove right back and fight right back. I didn't fight the person. You're not going to fight a guy with, you know, with helmets on or anything, but you know, the best thing I did was fight right back. And I think Santa Samuel Jr. kind of does that too. He sets the tone because they're going to, they're going to try to bully him, but you see him routinely go, no, you can't bully me. You know, I'm not going to let you do that to me. And so that kind of wherewithal, that kind of strength, that kind of mindset, you know, that. Maybe I wish that I had a little bit more you know, in high school when I was younger, but you know, him now as a college prospect, he just has that. He's the tone setter. You, know, you, you can try to fight me. You can try to bully me if you want, but I'm not going to let you. And so I admire that so much about him, and that's why I think he's a perfect fit for what the Chargers want. And after Salley's press conference today, and the fact that they've met him twice, I can almost imagine that he's their pick at 47 if he's there.
2: Man, I, I was not expecting that to go uh, that direction. <laughs> but, you know, that, it's just – it's interesting, you know, you got bullied on the field and I got hazed off the field. So uh, a little personal connection between, between the two of us, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I'm going to get to my guy here, which is going to be Paulson Adebo, who I was is tweeting about a lot uh, this, mor- this afternoon as, as I was watching him. Um, I, I think, you know, I, like I said, I definitely have a type. And, you know, J.C. Horn, you know, Jalen Johnson, who was my guy at Utah last year, it was the same kind of way. Jeff Gladney, uh, who unfortunately is – under uh, some big legal trouble right now. Um, but Paul Sanadivo definitely fits that mold and he's kind of like my cornerback version of Samuel Cosme. Like Paul Sanadivo okay. definitely has some things that he needs to clean up. Yeah. And it's un- like, he did have, you know, I didn't watch the 2018. Tape, back but in like, one minute. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So, I didn't watch the 2018 tape, but, you know, Paul Sanadivo's numbers, like, at least according to Pro Football Focus and everything, they were worse in 2019. So, there are some major things that he's got to clean up. I think, I don't know what the case was, but he definitely took a little too many chances in 2019, in my opinion. He's got some issues with, like, recognizing routes and things like that, so that he's got to clean up, but the thing that you're taking a shot on, in my opinion, is just his, like, athletic profile, right? Like, he's in the top ten in his res score right now. He's got great size, great length of the position. And my favorite thing about him, which is, you know, every kind of corner or really any player outside of the first round, like, to me, they've got to have a selling point. Like, you've got to have something like Tyler was just talking about with Asante Samuel Jr. being a great tackler and and kind of being that Energizer Bunny to me. Paulson Sanadipo has great ball skills, and, you know, he does other things really well. I think he's a fantastic tackler as well. But he had 24 pass breakups in two years at Stanford, which, you know, he's got great ball production and great ball skills. And so, to me, like, I'm going to take a chance on those kind of traits, right? Like, he's a great athlete. He's got great production. Sure, he was a little inconsistent in 2019. Gabriel Davis from UCF gave him fits, which it was just, you know, kind of unfortunate. But, like I was talking about, like, Stanford was getting blown out and he was getting burned by Gabriel Davis and he was still attacking and fighting on every single player every single rep going down to make tackles in the run support so while he was getting burned like it weirdly like made me appreciate his his mentality more because he, t- he wasn't taking it personal wasn't pouting he was still playing and fighting from start to finish and so there like I said definitely has some things to clean up but if I'm taking a shot on somebody in the second round to be my future cornerback one, uh, I would take Boston Devo with the caveat that Asante Samuel Jr. is off the board. <laughs> I like
1: it. This one was interesting for me because I looked at ahead of time at that pro football focus stuff, and it said that he had missed 25 tackles on 135 attempts in his career. But then, you know, you're posting on Twitter how good of a tackler he is. So I'm like, what is going on here? So I was, I, was, I was looking for that part of his game to be an issue, but then I turned on the game against USC he looks like a really sure tackler there. I don't believe he missed any. And I turn on the game against UCF, which you know Pro Football Focus has as his worst game. But the first play of the game, he makes a great open field tackle. Yeah. So I recheck the stats, and it, it turns out he only missed five tackles this past season, which means I think he started to figure that part out. It must have been an awful year before that. Um, but to only miss five, but it's 25 for his whole career, only missed five this past season means I think he's cleaned up that part of his game. So yeah. if I'm projecting and looking forward and seeing him clean up that, you know, there's growth. Some this kid, this kid can grow and get better. Um, yes, the UCF game wasn't great. The double moves got him like three different times too deep. Yeah, it was um, bad. one the quarterback missed him in the end zone. But you know, you can learn. The traits are there, and I, I kind of like it guy. Like you said, I think it was was a 24 passes batted.
2: Yeah, 24 pass yeah. breakups. No, I like
1: that. And you know, does he take chances? Does it does he does it get him? Does it bite him a couple of times? Yeah, but sometimes you kind of need that game changing play, and if he can provide that and also develop as a, as a corner. I think that's a pretty good shot. I wouldn't take him in the second round. Um, I'm a little worried about some of those things, um, but I, he's definitely a guy like if we were doing, Oh, we are doing sleepers. If I had a sleeper, which I don't, because I, I messed up uh, <laughs> not what he would have been. He would have been him.
2: Yeah. I mean, we took him in the third round in our mock draft. And I think that would be fine. I, like I said, with the caveat of like, you know, it's not like junior Richie grant are off the board. Like I would take Paulson a and take that shot on the potential. Um, Alex, did you bring a, sleep, uh, a sleeper to the table, or should we talk about guys that we are maybe selling stock on?
3: Uh, yeah, I was just going to go straight to the selling stock guys. Okay, go for it. Uh, I want to talk about Elijah Molden. Uh, I don't really get the fascination of him from Chargers fans because I see some Chargers fans post mock drafts where they take him in the third round or he's like the first corner off the board, and uh, he's a nickel corner. <laughs> that That's what he is. Uh, and when I watch a nickel corner, like, you want to see someone like Chris Harris, who, in my opinion, is a very surefire tackler, you know, is able to get past blocks. I just don't see that when I watch Elijah Molden. I feel like he's blocked pretty easily because he's small, Uh, and I don't feel like he has very good uh, game speed uh, when I watch him either. Uh, I just don't feel like he can be your first cornerback off the board, especially if the team does go... Tackle in round one. Like, sure, I guess he could in some ways be an eventual Chris Harris uh, replacement, you know, down the road. uh, Perhaps next year, you know, with Chris Harris getting older. Um, But to me, I – it's hard to just see him being a nickel corner at the NFL level to uh, a really high degree of success when I watch him. Because he's also, you know, even though him and Chris Harris are the same height – like he's just not as like physically big on cam uh, on tape as uh, as Chris Harris is, and uh, I don't know. I like decent slot corner, I guess, but I just feel like his size is going to cause a lot of problems for him in the NFL. I don't think he has like elite traits to make up for it. I think that's I think that's spot on, and I think in a world where the Chargers
2: could have maybe signed a Kyle Fuller or an Adoree an yeah. Jackson. Like that would make sense taking Elijah Molden at that point. But, you know, it, if you take Elijah Molden in the second round, <laughs> then you're asking him or Chris Davis to permanently play outside. Like, mm-hmm. right, that's essentially what's happening. And I, I just don't think that is, you know, kind of the winning method. Tyler, did you have someone that you're selling stock on?
1: Yeah, I'm going with Kelvin Joseph. I don't think he's a bad player, but some people haven't ranked him as one of the three best corners in the draft. And I personally think that's absurd. Um, He only played 20 games of college football and only nine the past two years because of his transfer from LSU to Kentucky. And, you know, maybe it's, uh, I'm not a fan of a guy opting out midseason because you want to cement your draft stock and not get hurt. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe I should knock him on that. But I kind of feel like you should, if you transfer and you're in this yeah. program, you should. it's not like he opted out this season because of COVID. I don't know what he said he did, but I think it was to protect his draft stock. And I'm, I'm just not really a fan of that. Um, he was a safety, like a number one five, uh, number five safety recruit in the country coming out of high school, and it shows on film because he's not like comfortable at corner yet. I don't think he's really yeah. picked up that ability to recognize routes like some of the better corners in this draft. Um, but even as a safety, I can't remember what the game was. There's a play where I think he's like the box safety in the end zone, and the play opens up to his left, um, and he just kind of stutters and just like hangs around the middle and like doesn't even get close to the back. You know, I'm not, I'm just, I don't know what was really going on there. So, I mean, he's versatile. Like, he does play, like, you know, inside, outside, some some, some safety, I guess. He definitely has the room to grow. Um, and so, I guess if you're doing some projection, maybe, maybe one day he's a top three corner. But some people, like, ranking him right now as a top three, even top five corner, I think is really rich. For a guy who's only played 20 games and, you know, was a safety. Like, he's still trying to figure the game out. Can he eventually? Sure. Is he versatile? Sure. But right now, he's just a little bit too rich for me. I wouldn't take him in the first round at all.
3: Speaking of Kelvin Joseph, can we talk about how Kentucky had like three guys run a four two eight pro day? Like that shit was hilarious. Like, man, I watched Kelvin Joseph and look, that dude's fast. That dude is not a four two eight. He is nah. not running. He, you put him in John Ross, straight line, like <laughs> Um, uh, I don't know. I just thought that part of it was funny. Um I think Kelvin Joseph has some potential, but you know, to me he's much more of a second, third round pick. Yeah, the idea of him being third cornerback off the board. Um, I mean, I kind of have the same reaction to to the idea of Newsom being CB one or something. Yeah, uh, hey, <laughs> I two. Okay, CB two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's just um, I there are uh, absolutely still is high upside despite you know those yeah. pro day numbers being bogus. Uh, I just don't know if I can you know take him over the the really established products. Uh, in this draft, like a Sertan, like a Horn, um, even a Farley, honestly, uh, even with those medical issues, I'd probably definitely still take him over Kelvin Joseph.
2: Yeah. I don't understand that evaluation either. As much as, you know, we've got our, our guy, Zach Whitaker, who went to Kentucky and, and loves Kelvin Joseph <laughs> and Jamin Davis. I, I will say I love Jamin Davis a lot. I think that Jamin Davis is is going to be a fantastic pro um, to me I just think that the lack of game reps really hurt Joseph. Like you can tell just as soon as you watch the tape, like he really struggles with route recognition, with communication, with everything. That's not like, I'm just going to go out athlete you. Mm -hmm. And so it's a tough evaluation for me just because of that. Like even, you know, projecting Paulson Adibo a little bit, like he had two years starting and he played every single game. So, and same with Greg Newsom, like he missed games due to injury. But he still had three years of starting tape on him that you could go back and look at. So Kelvin Joseph is uh, is a tough evaluation for me. Uh, and I also have Adebo, Stokes, and Ifiatu Melifonwu over him. So I hope I said that right. Um, I think it was pretty close. Um, but yeah, that's a tough evaluation for me. The other one, the weird experience, like the one of the weirdest experiences of watching film this, this class was Tyson Campbell. Because like at the start of, he was one of the first corners that I watched Cause Mm -hmm. all I heard was like, this guy's an insane athlete. Like he's so fluid. Like he's such a, you know, he's going to be a a steal. And then I was like, okay. And so like, I'm watching him like, okay. Like I graded him relatively safely because I'm like, okay. Like everybody says he's a good athlete. It looks like he's a good athlete on film. And then he tests so, so poorly. Mm -hmm. And Eric Stokes turns out to be the better athlete. And so then you go back and watch him and it's just like poor technique. It's poor tackling. And he's not that good of an athlete anymore. So Tyson Campbell, to me, is somebody that I, I just, like, don't understand. So I have a, a pretty low grade on him. He's right next to uh, Sean Wade and Israel Mukawamu, uh right there at the bottom for me. So I, I'm I'm selling all my stock possible on Tyson Campbell.
1: I was so bummed when I saw your grades and you had Campbell over Stokes initially. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, I'm trying kind of like, to like, even like mathematically looking at the different numbers, I'm like, God, what did I miss?
3: No, I, was, I was sleeping on stuff. I get man. it. though.
1: I get it. Like, I had Leonard Dickerson, and I, I because we had YouTube, had a, like, third-round round grade on DeSante Samuel Jr. Like, I didn't like him. You get the All-22, things change. So, I don't know, you know, yeah. things change over time. You get a different perspective. You start seeing different players. You stack them, see what you want. And so, I get it. And, yeah, Campbell is a guy that I'm definitely selling for sure, unless you're Phil Sims
2: whatever
3: pretty much and,
2: yeah. Yeah, he also has like Marco Wilson from Florida as like his second best cornerback and I'm like huh I didn't know who that is <laughs> exactly um, <laughs> alright guys so any other thoughts on the cornerback class before we uh, wrap up today's show I know we were going to talk about sleepers but we've already been talking for an hour so uh, Alex if you have your sleeper and you want to throw him out there go for it uh, if not we'll kind of wrap up
3: uh, I don't have a sleeper, you know. The the one thing that I wanted to mention to wrap up the show today is the changing numbers thing. Uh that was talked about a lot on Twitter. And you know what? Uh I have a Color Rush ninety nine Joey Bosa jersey. And I think <laughs> it's I think it's really cool. And I think it's a collector's yeah. item. And you know what? I'm probably gonna go on clearance and I'm probably gonna buy a Jalen Hurt's number two jersey just so there I can be different and be a hipster. Uh so you know what? <laughs> Uh, Derwin James, change your number to your heart's content. Uh, I fully support, uh, all this player movement and number movement. There's going to be some ugly numbers, but, you know, uh, I think players should be able to wear what they want. Uh, you know what? If Justin Herbert says he wants to wear 65, let's let him wear 65. I don't care. (laughs) Um, just, just give him Dan Feeney's number or whatever. Oh God. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, nah, but, uh, I, I just think it's, uh, I think it's cool that they're letting the players do this finally. And, uh, yeah, I'll be sure to uh, grab me. I actually don't have a Derwin James jersey, so I should uh, get on that.
2: Yeah, to me, I I think a wide receiver should be able to wear single digits, and I think a corner should be able to wear single digits. But I mean, I guess safety is not that different. The one that I hate though is linebackers. Like I know Kenneth Murray's nickname is K nine or or whatever, uh, but apparently he might have to wait to change his number anyway. Uh, I guess that's you have to wait until year three to change your number. Um, I just like whenever I think of linebackers. I think of players in the 40s and 50s. Like, that's just kind of like where my brain goes to. So, like, looking at Kenneth Murray wearing number nine would be super weird. Like, Derwin wearing number three, I guess a little more normal. Like, I I can understand that. But, you know, linebacker changing to single digits I think is going to be weird.
3: I did see uh, Jalen Smith apparently wants to wear number nine, and Cowboys fans were really pissed at him about that one. (laughs) But like, he's also a terrible player, so there's also
2: that. <laughs> there's that too. Somebody asked me, was like, Should we trade for Jalen Smith? It's like hell no. <laughs> Why would we do that? <laughs> um Tyler, any other thoughts here, man? I think you should be have you should
1: be able to change your jersey for sure, but I'm not all here for this jersey fluidity. I think you can change it once and that's it, because I'm not I'm not buying your nine, then your three, then your eighty seven, then your hundred and forty six yeah. jerseys like You know, Alex calls them collectibles.
3: I call them, you know, things you can't sell for more than $3. So, (laughs) Well, look, look, if in 10 years Derwin James becomes a Hall of Fame player, like, it would be really cool to have his 33 jersey because it would prove, hey, you were on the train from the beginning, right? You know, and I I think that part of it's cool.
1: That's true. When Melvin Gordon becomes a Hall of Famer, (laughs) I still have his 28 jersey
2: that's signed, so I can't wait to... Well, that's your fault for buying a running back jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, I got an Austin Eckler jersey. (laughs) That's, well, you know, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff, you guys. Uh, All right, so obviously you guys have already watched our our live video when you were watching this. Uh, I was definitely going to mention that, but I realized that it was too late because this is going to be coming out on Monday. Um, So thank you so much for tuning in. We are so excited to be partnering with blue wire. Cannot wait for what the few next few months and and next year of our life is going to bring us through blue wire. Um, We cannot do this without any of you guys. Thank you so much, so much for your support. If you could, please leave us a comment on this video. See if, you know, let us know what you think, who, who is the CB one in this class? What do you think about Greg Newsome being CB two? If you've got a favorite sleeper, please let us know. And as always, please leave us a rating or a view on Apple podcast, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to us. We do really appreciate that. And thanks for tuning in as always, and we will see you next time. For the ones who work hard to
0: ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call.